Welcome to A Taste of Agile, your favorite podcast where we dish up tasty food debates and appetizing agile topics. I'm Mike on the mic. And I'm Archie. Thanks for joining us. Now let's dig in. Uh, Very excited to get into a food debate as usual today and a very cool topic. And we have some special guests as always. We have Ashley Slaughter and Jeff Mortimer, the Agile Moose. Um, Ashley, would you like to go ahead and do a quick intro? Oh, hi, my name's Ashley. Um, I'm a consultant here at Slalom, um, specializing in product coaching and training. Excellent, thanks for joining us and over to Jeff. Yeah, my name's Jeff Mortimer, um, another uh, product coach here at Slalom, um, specifically focused on product transformation and helping organizations make large changes to new ways of working. Excellent. Thank you both for being here. Very excited to talk about something that you both recently worked on. But before we talk about work things, we have to talk about food because that's how we do it on A Taste of Agile. So I was feeling nostalgic today and our debate or topic that I'll throw out there is what is your one like fast food item, fast food restaurant or restaurant item that you wish that they would bring back. And this is your chance to campaign for that item. Um, and for everyone listening, our email is DetroitAtSlom.com. If you have a recommendation, something you're passionate about, send it to us and maybe we'll talk about it on a show. But we'll give our guests, <clears throat> excuse me, a chance to think about it for a minute and we'll, uh, we'll let Archie start us. So this is a tough one for me because it's easy for me to think of my like childhood and different things that no longer exist or, um, you know, in terms of menu items at fast food places, for example. Uh, but I think it's really tempting for me to just go to the fact of like, you used to be able to get an Arby's roast beef sandwich and feel like it was enough to fill a grown man. And now it's like, like the size of two French fries. Um, (laughs) but that's like a whole different thing, I think. So I think for me, it's probably more of some of my favorite restaurants that no longer exist. Like there was a place in Nashville uh, called the Back Alley Diner, and it was right behind where I used to work. And they had this sandwich that was like Texas toast, um, like legit, really good hamburger patty, spicy cheese, barbecue sauce. And it was like they paninied the heck out of that thing. And I don't even know what else was in there, but it was like, it probably gained weight. Like I probably just like gained weight because of that sandwich, but it was so delicious. Uh, And I miss it. And that place doesn't exist anymore. There's another place in Ann Arbor that also doesn't exist that we used to love going to called the standard and they closed a couple years ago. So it's like, man. Um, So I may have gone a little sidetrack, but I do not make any apologies for that. It's about food. There's no apologies needed. <laughs> All right. And Ashley or Jeff, either one of you want to go first with your your suggestion? Yeah, I've got a strong opinion on this one. Um, so me and this fast food joint go way back. Like I obviously everybody probably grew up eating McDonald's, you know, Happy Meals, you know, loving the toys, stuff like that. But I actually worked in McDonald's when I was in high school for two years Um, I was in a McDonald's competition where I was the drink capper and (laughs) you would compete against people from other McDonald's stores. So me and McDonald's go way back, but like I loved their grilled chicken sandwiches. Like 
even I would eat it for dinner, like early 20s, I want to say like three or four times a week. Like, you know, it was my first job. I was I had moved away. I was living in New Orleans, which you would think I'd probably be eating some better food than that. But I was busy and tired. And so I would pop into McDonald's and get my little grilled chicken sandwich, fries and a Diet Coke, because everyone knows Diet Coke from McDonald's is like on a different level. Um, But when the pandemic hit, McDonald's shrunk their menu. And like, I don't eat fast food that much anymore. You know, I've, you know, kind of upped my my health standards a little bit, you know, as I've, <laughs> as I've become more of an adult. <laughs> it took away a lot of like the healthier options. Like you can't get salad there anymore. You cannot get a grilled chicken sandwich. So now I pretty much don't eat fast food anymore. But if I want, if I did, I would be looking for that grilled chicken sandwich from McDonald's and really disappointed. My son thinks it's cool. He doesn't understand anything that I do. He's six years old. He knows I work at McDonald's. And every time we go there, he talks about how I work there. And it's probably the coolest thing about me to him because he loves his happiness. <laughs> I did not expect the grilled chicken sandwich from McDonald's when I brought this topic up. But thank you. You're welcome. Hi, right, Jeff. What do you got? Before I get into mine, I just have to say, Ashley, my kids were also the same when I worked at Domino's and they were just like, oh, you make pizzas. That's so cool. And I'm like, that is not what I do, but it's okay. I'll just, I'll let it go. Um, For me, uh, one of my favorite restaurants, and I feel like there might be some around, but I, I just, they've all closed at least around me. I used to live in Virginia and there was a restaurant called The Melting Pot. It's a fondue restaurant. It was a great date night thing. You could kind of eat slow, and it was like a really nice atmosphere. And we had one when I moved to Ann Arbor, and then it closed like shortly after we moved here. And I just haven't seen them around. And obviously the pandemic did not help them, I'm sure, Um, just because of the nature of the fondue uh, restaurant. Um, But that's one thing that I wish would come back and and, – yeah, I want to. I want to go to a melting pot again and have a nice romantic date with my wife. So, well that does sound like a COVID nightmare. Let's all dip our food in. <laughs> <laughs> they they would not have survived. But I don't think I ever got to try melting pot. It does does sound good though. So my uh, my topic for consideration is. All things Pizza Hut. I was thinking about, for one, the lunch buffet at Pizza Hut. And when you're in high school and college, can you get better than unlimited pizza for a good price? Like, I Mm. I don't think so. The other thing, and this this might be like a societal commentary, is you used to read like so many books and you got the personal pan pizza. And that was like the crowning achievement of elementary school was... Read some books, get a pizza, get some pop at, you know, a Pizza Hut. But think about how much better our world would be if we rewarded people for reading books by giving them pizza at Pizza Hut. So I think we need to bring that back for the the good of all mankind. Yeah, I think that's what they call a win-win-win. Go ahead. For for your reference, Mike, I was just going to say, in Ann Arbor, there's a Cottage Inn pizza buffet that happens (laughs) uh, just, you know, only at the original Cottage Inn in Ann Arbor, but uh, that is a favorite of my wife and I's. So oh, that's awesome. Verified. Yep. Yeah. I can corroborate I'm glad I don't that. live close to Ann Arbor because that would be bad for me. <laughs> Lunchtime <laughs> pizza buffet is not on the menu anymore. We got to, I'm trying to smarten it up like Ashley. All right. Well, like I said, feel free to send us in your nostalgic fast food items. 
maybe we can make a change and, you know, bring something back for our listeners out there. Uh, but today I wanted to talk about Ashley and Jeff recently have a, uh, a white paper on product thinking. And it's something that I think it's a great topic. It's a really insightful um, paper. I got a chance to read it. So I, I just wanted to throw out some questions or kind of have you talk about why you put it together and why that topic and see how it's different than agile or, you know, why is this such an important thing or um, and then maybe get later into some advice for people that want to take action on what you talked about. So um, maybe we could just start with if you want to give us a little background or rundown of what made you write the paper or what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I had been writing a, a blog post on LinkedIn around the different principles and kind of where they had fallen short and really came to a conclusion of one of the, the pieces of the Agile Manifesto that I thought was really missing or was lacking was the, the idea of working software as that primary measure of progress. Um, and really the movement that we're seeing in a lot of organizations toward product thinking. So Ashley and I have been in this space, and it's really been evolving. Um, and what I'm seeing, at least in the industry, is that this is really the next step for a lot of organizations. And the organizations who are very successful are thinking in this way. And so understanding that Agile has helped us get so far, but it's not going to really help us to be um, the most successful we can be until we start thinking in this new way. Um, and so, you know, we didn't want to dog on Agile too much. And so if you look in the paper, we really focus more on um, what is next and, and how can we continue to improve Agile has gotten us very far, and it's helped us to iterate through our work and really deliver in a faster way. But one of the key things we're seeing, and there's a lot of stats out there around this, but there's so many things that we're building that no one's using. We're not getting any value from them. People are not um, focusing on what is the outcome we're actually trying to achieve, and they're just focused on how much can I get done. And Agile has helped us get a lot more done and, and do it quicker, but in some cases, that just builds up more technical debt or more features that you have to manage in a larger, more complex system. And so really that was the emphasis for starting down this journey. And then, um, you know, I have loved Ashley jumping in here. She did a lot of the editing and um, really bringing a lot of this to light and helping it to come to fruition. So, Ashley, I don't know if you want to share more about your experience as well. Yeah, I'm, like, really passionate about how our obsession with productivity like permeates how we build products and you know I love the agile manifesto like Jeff said we didn't want to we do point out some maybe like flaws or shortcomings of the agile manifesto in our white paper but really I think a lot of it is our interpretation of the agile manifesto and how it's led us to focus on productivity I'm kind of building on what Jeff said like it's almost like we believe if we build more, if we build more, 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 like this has to work, right? We have to be successful if we can just pump more and more software out the door, more and more features, right? And we all know that that's not how you stay competitive um, and compete against companies that really delight customers, right? They put things in your hands that you love, right? That you want, that you need in your life, that you desire, right? And so that really, I think, was my inspiration for, you know, the paper, like really just, you know, thinking about how businesses really 
they just they're just so crazy about productivity and it's such a distraction i think from like how you really deliver value yeah, I like it. I I do think it's always a good idea to inspect. So that's part of having an agile mindset is inspecting our our process, inspecting our our business. And this is another example of that of are we measuring the right thing? Um, do you have any examples of maybe like a company or a product or a story, either good or bad examples of focusing on output versus the right product? So I. I have an example of, so one of the things we talk about in the paper is, you know, Scrum, right? And Scrum introduced the concept of the product owner, right? The product owner is supposed to work with business people in order to kind of prioritize and drive value through the product, right? We all know a lot of product owners end up kind of taking orders from stakeholders, right? And a lot of times, like, stakeholders have a good reputation, or a good track record of making good decisions. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes we just do what they say because that's what we think. That's what we think that we're supposed to do. But my favorite example is the you guys called the Fire Phone, um, Amazon's Fire Phone, and that was really from what I read. It was really like a Jeff Bezos driven um, effort, right? Project. Obviously, like we're not all walking around with Fire Phones right now. We're still we're still using iPhones, but like. <laughs> That guy, right? I mean, he had a huge track record, right? Like, why would you not listen to Jeff Bezos on the next, you know, the next iPhone or the next, you know, the next phone? But obviously that was a flop, right? And I think that's like a really extreme example of like how if we're just, you know, focused on the project, focused on the output, the fire phone, focused on listening to the business, right? And not putting our product thinking hat on, how, you know, who even knows how much money they spent on that effort, all to learn, no one wants your fire phone, right? Um, so that, that, that one's kind of my favorite example um, around uh, not using product thinking in your efforts. Archie, can you make a note to let Jeff Bezos know he's probably not going to want to be in our show next time? I know, he, I know he had signed up to be a guest, but he's probably not interested now. I'm actually going to add it to the list of things to let him know about. Um, there's also a really great example of how I didn't want his new Lord of the Rings show, but we don't need to get into that. They didn't, yeah, they didn't use any product thinking in developing that either. So, And we lost our Amazon sponsorship too. We're, we're striking out. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, what about you? Do you have any examples that come to mind? Yeah, I have a couple. Uh, the one that I think was really the first spot I saw this the most, and there's some memes out there about this, but the universal remote is one I think we can all mm. relate to because it just it was a failed product. It you know you don't use ninety percent of the buttons on it, and uh, you know look up some memes on it, but people have done things like put paper over it and just point out the buttons that they're actually going to use on it. And I feel like one of my in-laws come to my house and try and use my TV. It's, I have to give them a page of instructions on how to get to anything. It just, I, I just, that was a product flop in my mind and it just has too many features. And I think it, it shows us sometimes in software, we, we build too much and then it actually makes it harder. Right. And then you have companies uh, like Singapore uh, airlines. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but their slogan was flights to nowhere. They literally take <laughs> off and land in the same spot. 
Um, and this was sort of coming during the pandemic and it just, it completely flopped. Right. I mean, especially during the <laughs> pandemic, who wants to, to get on a flight if they don't have to, and let alone the, the environmental impact of, of this, of literally like, you know, spending, uh, you know, fuel to go nowhere. Um, so, you know, when I look at things like that, um, it really points out the lack of product thinking. I've also been in some organizations, and this might hit a little closer to home for some, um, but when we look at, like, Salesforce implementations, um, one of the things that we've seen is Salesforce has a lot of different features that you can add and, and use. And if you don't take that lens of really discovering what is going to be valuable and what's going to actually solve the problems for the, the users of Salesforce within an organization, we can build a lot of things within Salesforce and, and do it very quickly. Um, but if it's not able to be used um, and, and actually add value to the organization, you know, we, we spend a lot of time building something that then just is, is hard to use or people are just going through exception processes around. So... Um, I've seen that in a few organizations, and I think, you know, Solom especially um, wants to bring, you know, more of a product thinking mindset when we bring those Salesforce implementations to our clients as well. Yeah, I like, I like uh, good stuff, guys. Uh, but I really like how you explained, too, about the features because I think it's really easy for us. And I think one of the things that you guys did a great job in in the white paper is talking about the difference between productivity and value. And... There, there is such a funny thing where we have this idea that if we're getting things done and we're making more features, like it's awesome. Oh, we feel so great. We're accomplishing things. And then it's like, what about the user? Because if they don't care, you know, like the remote, how many buttons on there? And I'm having flashbacks to all these hilarious versions of universal remotes that my dad bought. And was like, this is going to be everything. This is going to do <laughs> the TV and the VCR and the, the new DVD fangled player thing that you guys got. And like all these things. And then I'm like, dad, it doesn't work. It won't even connect to two of these things. <laughs> but there's a hundred <laughs> buttons here. Like, I don't, I don't understand what's happening. And like, and it just ignores that. And the other funny part is when you have all those features, there's like the cost of developing and sustaining those too. So it's like, it's just, you just get in this whole like hilarious debacle anyway yeah i think where i i feel like the tough part and we can go into this next is there's always good intention when you think like oh i'm giving you more features that's a good thought you know i'm giving you more yeah. and more i'm building things on so you have a good intention but you can clearly feel as a user when something was thought through with you in mind, you know? So when you sit down in a new car and you find that feature, you're like, oh, they thought of me when they built this and this is exactly what I need. Or the opposite. Did they think about me when they built this? Like, what is this? You know, so uh, if you're an organization and you are delivering frequently, like you're cranking stuff out, you are being, you know, increasing your production, all those good things, you have good intentions. How do you make that shift? Or what are some things that you can do right now to start to have more of a product mindset versus just pushing features out the door? I think like one really easy first step, I like kind of like that low hanging fruit, like what can I do tomorrow, right? And I think one kind of easy thing people can do tomorrow is try to shift your thinking on your work items to be more hypothesis driven, right? Instead of like, I'm going to build this feature, just say, I'm going to build this feature. 
because I believe this other thing will happen when I build this feature and really try to like get better at forming those hypotheses and measuring those hypotheses. It's not going to take you all the way to be an amazing product thinker, but it's a good start because everything we build is a hypothesis, right? We're trying to solve some kind of problem. We think building this will solve this problem. We're not sure, right? Even if you have the, you know, your salesperson yelling in your ear, but like they're 100% sure that this is what the client wants. We've all been there, right? And you know, like, you know, especially folks with strong personalities, you know, really confident in your ear, you got to do this, you got to do this, still viewing it as a hypothesis, even if everybody's really, really, you know, confident already, um, you know, I think that can be a good, a good place to start. I like that. That's good advice. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the the move from just putting down solutions to teams and saying implement this um, and really moving to focus on outcomes is a key here. Helping us understand as an organization, what are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to change? You know, if, if it's our customer experience and improving that, there could be 20 ideas on how we can improve our customer experience. Let's Let's see how we can iterate through that and prove out a hypothesis that we think this thing will impact the customer experience and then go and build it once we've proven that out, right? So really iterating through that hypothesis more um, to focus on those outcomes um, before we spend all the time building something that may or may not get used or impact what we expect. I like that too. I'm going to do the classic ask a question and then give myself an answer as if I didn't just ask the question. But as you're talking, I'm thinking too about when I first got into tech and the scariest thing ever was getting feedback from a client. So if you're not sure what to do, I would start with going to your client and get some feedback. And they might tell you, hey, it's great that you're giving me all this stuff, but here's what I really need or here's how it works for me. And that is a terrifying thought, but there's no quicker way to build a, a better relationship and start to deliver the right thing than just asking, you know, what do you think about this or how's this going? And I also feel like that builds some equity to where if you make a mistake, they know that you're at least making an effort and you're getting that feedback. Or maybe you find out sooner rather than later that it's not what they're looking for. So really good ideas for how to quickly turn it around or quickly step up to the next level. Um, kind of as we wrap up here, we'll go around and, and if there's one thing from the paper that you want people to take away from it or one quick lesson, what would that be? So the part to me that, you know, I think we, we think about a lot. We, we love thinking about being lean, right? And we think build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. I'm sure there's not many agile teams out there that aren't thinking about build, measure, learn. When we think about product thinking and we think about kind of our, you know, the, the term kind of shifting lab, we still want to build, measure, learn, but we want to enter our, the cycle at the learn phase, and maybe not the build phase, right? We jump so quickly to building because we're so, because working software, how Jeff started this, right? Working software is all that matters. It's the primary measure of progress, but it would serve us better to do some learning first, to examine our assumptions, 
to figure out how we can test some of those assumptions so we can move into building with a little bit more confidence than we did when so-and-so had this idea, they're important, we should go do this, start working, then get feedback, right? So shift from build, measure, learn to learn, build, measure, learn, build, measure. Absolutely. And I think a, a quote that we have in the paper that I think sums that up is life's too short to build something nobody wants. And I can tell you from being on teams where I've built my team and myself have built things and then they weren't used, it's really discouraging as well. So really focusing in on that learning before we go and spend all that time building it is really important. That's awesome. Totally agree. Archie, I'll give you the last word. Any words of wisdom, advice? I mean, you guys had a very, did a very good job articulating that. Uh, and I don't want to sound like a devil's advocate, but my style is always like, I like to get in there and make a mess of things and see what we learn. But I can also use the framework that you guys said and just actually start with the mess of learning. So I guess that that's, that story still checks out. Uh, <laughs> I have this thing where I just typically agree with all of the the guests, and I'm trying to disagree with you guys, but you make too much sense, and you're making it really hard on me. <laughs> I can vouch for I the get, that he gets in there and make. Yeah, I'll vouch for the fact that he gets in there and makes a mess of things, but it, <laughs> but it somehow works out in the end. It somehow um, works out, and everyone has more fun in the process. <laughs> Well, thank you um, to our guests, Ashley and Jeff. Um, great job on the paper. A lot of cool thoughts and takeaways for anyone. Check it out. Um, send us questions. If you read the paper and want to know more, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Um, send us an email with your nostalgic food item that you want to bring back. Uh, let's make a change, whether it's a product mindset or you know, getting some back on the Taco Bell menu, whatever it is. We're here to help you. Um, again, our email is Detroit at Slalom.com. I'm Mike on the mic and my co-host Archie. Thanks for listening and have a great day. You have been listening to A Taste of Agile. Thanks for joining us. If you have questions, feedback, or comments on anything we covered today, reach out to Mike Henry or Archie Woods on LinkedIn or our email, Detroit at Slalom.com. See you next time.